book of Romans, which is a significant study. You know, the book of Romans is the longest uh, of Paul's epistles. It's actually one of the, the most complex and logical argument in the entire ancient world. It makes it the most important doctrinal work. And, you know, I, I was talking with uh, a preacher friend of mine. He's actually a family member uh, who was at my grandma's funeral this last week. I want to just give everyone a big thank you for your love and support for my family. We had a great time at the funeral. My grandma had a wonderful life. She's with the Lord. So on behalf of my family, we want to thank you uh, for show, showing your support and your love for us. Um, anyway, I, was, I was talking to my, uh, my mom's cousin, Gordon. I don't know what that makes him to me, but he, he's some cousin somewhere, third or fourth or whatever it is. I don't know. But he, had, uh, he was telling me that he thought eight weeks to go through the book of Romans was just too short. You know, he had done his uh, one chapter at a time, and I, and I told him, man, you know, I'm trying to teach it in a way so that people get it. So you should get a syllabus there. You can catch one on the way out. And the idea is, you know, we're just teaching you the basics of the Bible. So I'm at week three here, and I want to teach this so you get it. I want to read Romans chapter three, verse 21 and 22, and then we're going to pray. Here, here's what Paul said. He said, but now the righteousness of God, someone say righteousness, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Let's pray. All right, Father, I, I thank you today. This is the day that you made. And I pray that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation to help us comprehend the subject of righteousness. I pray you help me teach it. I pray people get it. I pray scales fall off of our eyes, and I pray for freedom in the house of the Lord and cleansed consciences today in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen, amen. So, you know, it's a funny thing being uh, a 43-year-old parent because I have children now who are more animated, and I picked my son up, Titus, out here in the parking lot on Tuesday. He ran to the car. He said, Dad, Dad, the teacher yelled at me for no reason. And I, and I remember I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I said, uh, I bet it's because you weren't paying attention. No, Dad. No. He said he was running, and he couldn't hear the teacher, and she yelled at him. Yeah, that's just what I thought. <laughs> so, you know, she told him, hey, pay attention. And, you know, um, he's still my son. He's a nine-year-old. And uh, he has the right to come to me with his problems, with his flaws, with his failures, with sticky fingers, and toast crumbs around his mouth, and, and he has the right to come and give me a hug and give me a kiss, and he's, he's my son. He is righteous in my sight. That's what happens when you have a child, when you, when you have a son. So I'm working my way through the book of Romans. Chapter 1, we're presenting the gospel to you. Remember, we said uh, Romans chapter 1, in the gospel, uh, the righteousness of faith is revealed. And, and then last Sunday, we were in the heavy topic of sin, which a lot of people like to skip over in society today. Nobody wants to address sin issues, but it is a problem. Uh, but today, we get to give you the solution for sin, which has to do with a little subject that the British call righteousness. And you say it with a, with a rolled R on your lips. So, uh, you know, this is like Romans 3, verses 21 through 26, is a cluster of doctrine. Uh, God made a provision for you and I to be righteous in his sight. Uh, he made a way for it regardless of your past offenses. And, and so in this passage of Scripture, he's really elaborating on what he built 
in Romans chapter 1. So Romans, I'm going to just work our way through a few verses here. The first provision of God's righteousness, Romans 3.21. He said, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So if we were to define righteousness, we could simply call it right standing. You, you can come before God justified. If you break that word justified down in the English and the way it's supposed to be used, it's the idea it's that you're righteous just as if I'd never sinned. That is really the way that God looks at you. It, when you have faith in Jesus, you become righteous in the sight of God. You know, that, that's the theme of Romans. Over 30 times, he mentioned this word righteousness in this, in this epistle. Look at verse 22. He says the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Christ Jesus, is to all and on all who believe. He said there's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know that only Christianity teaches uh, that all mankind is sin. And every other religion in the world teaches some kind of inherent goodness in man. But only the Bible teaches that we are born in a fallen condition, in a wicked state, and need a Savior. And when you look at the book of Romans and you understand what he's teaching here, this is part of the reason, this and what Jesus said, is what makes Christianity exclusive and sets it apart from every other religion in the world. This is a road less traveled by many people. Because, it, you know, it's, it's the bedrock of Bible doctrine. When, when you understand, and listen, you got to be established in the fact that when you put your faith in Jesus, God sees you as righteous. And what that will do for your spiritual life and your confidence and your relationship with God is incredible. Because I'm telling you, there's many people in the world who don't understand the concept of simply being accepted by God on the basis of faith. Look at verse 24. He said, yet you are justified freely. Someone say freely. Justified freely, this verse says, by his grace through the redemption. There's only one place you can find redemption. That's in the person of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven, the Bible says, by which mankind can be saved. It is only found in the person of Jesus. And the challenge with that is it becomes offensive to your flesh. Because, you know, human nature is this constant effort to seek to justify and, and, and get approval and do everything you can and finagle your way by good deeds to try to, you know, get yourself right in the eyes of God. And, and, and yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. It says it's freely given by grace. You put my faith in Jesus, there's a free gift right there. It, it tells us in verse 25 that God sent forth Jesus as a propitiation. I like teaching you from the New King James translation of the Bible because it uses these amazing theological words like propitiation. Someone say propitiation. That, that's a word that simply means a covering for your sin. That, that God sent for Jesus as a covering of sin. And the idea is from the word pitch, which is like a tar-like substance that they would put outside of boats in the ancient world so that they would uh, stay above the water. It's a waterproof covering. The blood of Jesus is like an impenetrable shield when it comes to accusations from the devil. You're, you have a propitiation. You have a covering around you from the accusations of the enemy. That's what it says in verse 25. By his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance... You know, that, that's God's ability to see into the future. The moment Adam sinned in the garden, 
He had already had a plan in place that he was setting up in motion for you to be righteous in the eyes of God. He'd already made provision. He had a plan. He knew how to solve the problem of sin. He was not taken back by it. It tells us that God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. You understand that God knows you better than you do. He knows the things you're susceptible to. He knows the problems you're going to face. He, he knew what you'd do in third grade when you cut off that girl's hair or put ink in her you know, braids in the back. I'm not talking about anybody here, just myself. <laughs> he remembers those things. He, but he looks beyond your actions. He can look into the very attitudes and intentions of a heart. It's an amazing thing about God. He did that, verse 26, to demonstrate at the present moment, in the here and in the now, in spite of your foolishness, he wanted to demonstrate his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of those whose faith is in Jesus. Let me give you my first point right here. God made provision for righteousness by faith. If you want to define what faith is, it's in the simplest sense, it is your relationship with God. And when the Bible speaks about it in the Greek language, it uses a word that's described as something that's alive and living. That's what faith is. It's a living substance in your heart where you've got complete and total trust in Jesus and his forgiveness, and you're holding on to him as if he was like a parachute, saving you from a hard fall to the ground. It's a living relationship. Now, Paul reveals... Uh, what Paul reveals in Romans here is really nothing new. He's going to use the example of Abraham. And if you look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 2, here's what it tells us. That if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Well, he said, what does the scripture say? You know the thing about Paul, the thing about Bible teaching, if you make a point, if you're going to make a claim, if you're going to make a statement, you need to turn around and find a place in the Bible to back up the place, the claim you're making. And that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, you, you can be justified in the eyes of God on the basis of faith, and I know that's true because that's how God dealt with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 6 when it says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is one of the most amazing things about the Bible. There'll be a little verse tucked away in Genesis or you know, chapter 1, we talked about the verse in Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith, and he takes a little verse that you overlook and is obscure, and he builds major New Testament doctrine off of that. The idea here is that God justified Abraham on the basis of faith, and that is the way he wants to deal with you. It says he was accounted, and the word is a mathematical term. It means credited uh, it, it, to your account. You, you know, it, like today, when you think about accounting, everything's digital. 97% of transactions in the world are digital, and they take place in just instantaneous Things. When you hit a button, millions of dollars get transferred from place to place. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, there is an instantaneous transaction that takes place where God accounts it as righteousness in your, in your heart. Amen. It happens instantaneously. He, he uses the example of King David. Uh, you know, I, I'm in chapter four here. If you, you go back and study it out, you'll find he talks about Abraham. He's going to talk about David. You know, David had made many mistakes. I mean, he killed a man. He, he had an affair, he tried to cover it up, and yet God said, this man is righteous in my sight. I mean, you have to think about how far the righteousness of God extends in situations. It's really incredible. And then he tells us that you and I are called to walk in the same steps of our father Abraham. Uh, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. 
That was another fun conversation with Titus. He wanted to know what that meant. <laughs> and uh, I told him, circumcision is of the heart. So hopefully he <laughs> hopefully got that concept. The idea here is anybody in the world can be righteous. Anybody, whether you live in India or whether you live in Israel, whether you live in Calcutta or you're from Canada, in the eyes of God, whether you're rich or poor, slave or free, man or woman, anybody, anybody can be righteous in the eyes of God on the basis of faith alone. Now, I don't know if you understand what a revolutionary concept that is. Because there was a man named Martin Luther who nailed 95 theses to a wall in Germany, and wars got started over this thing because he started teaching, oh no, your salvation doesn't come through what you do or the church. It comes through your faith in Jesus alone. That's a, that's a concept. That's what makes the book of Romans so unique. It teaches this as the bedrock of Bible doctrine. And I've met you know, with Muslims in my travels, and they tell me that cannot be. You cannot know God and, and get to heaven without proving, you himself, proving yourself to him. Yeah. I remember being in a, in a jewelry shop, or it was a, it was a shop there in the hotel, leaving Israel. I was buying a mug. And the, and the, uh, the shopkeeper, he said, I envy you Christians to live because he said you have such freedom that I wish I had he felt like everything he had to do was an attempt to live right so he could find justification in the eyes of God righteousness can only come through faith that's what the Bible teaches that makes it revolutionary that is a freeing doctrine in your life now it gets better because if you jump down to chapter 4 and verse 16 I want to give you a second portion of God's provision here I'd love to cover all the details in these chapters trust me but we would be here for many years. Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore, righteousness is of faith. I love that. That it might be according to grace. Someone say grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed. That's all, all the children of Abraham. Not just those who are of the law, the Jewish people, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who the Bible says is the father of us all. We get to walk in his same footsteps. Here's the second point, that God provided righteousness according to grace, by faith through grace. Grace is his goodwill, his favor, his kindness that's extended for you. Uh, you can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's the same way that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God gave it freely. It, it, it's a wonderful thing. And the thing about grace is that it operates outside of your own ability you know, the context here, Romans chapter 4, Sarah's womb was dead. And, and, you know, he'd promised that they'd have a baby, and, and there was no hope for that baby. And yet God, in his ability, through faith, gave them a child. See, God raises dead things to life. That's what makes them supernatural. I don't know what dead things you might be facing in your life. Maybe you feel your marriage is dead. Maybe you feel like you know, your, your job is dead. Maybe you feel like the relationships with your family or your, or your kids are backslidden. You feel like things are dead. I'm just here to tell you that God's made provision for all things to get put back together, and he did it on the basis of his grace. He's got a plan. And all you have to do is believe him for it. It's an incredible thing. See, grace operates outside of your ability. Grace is God's ability to provide for you. He's in the... Listen, in the beginning of time, before the foundations of the world, he, had, he knew you, and he had a plan for you. That's grace. <coughs> he made provision through the cross. I like verse 25. Jesus was crucified for our sin, but he was resurrected that we might be justified. See, the cross answers everything. It, the cross is the answer that you need. 
And when you read about the cross in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, it talks about the eternal spirit, which means that God has given you the cross as an answer for things in your past that you had to deal with, all the sins that you committed. And, and that cross answers the situations you're faced with in the present moment. There, there's certain situations you, that you don't have an answer for, and I'm telling you, the answer is in the cross. And he's made provision in the future. The answer for the future problems you'll face is all in the cross. He made provision for that through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's righteousness according to grace. It's his provision. Look, look at chapter 5. Look at verse 1. This verse has major theological implications, and it has emotional implications for people who believe it. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, if you believe in Jesus, you're righteous in his sight, and look what it tells you. Ooh, I like this verse. You will have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, the grace of God will bring the peace of God into your life. I love that. Because you've got to understand something about God. He is not angry with you. He's not angry at you. You know, we did the few cousin, and he had a son with a woman born outside of wedlock. And my grandma was not thrilled about that. But the woman who he had the son with, she came to the funeral. We hadn't seen her for many years. And she said, the thing I remember about your grandma was that she never was angry at me. She understood it was sin, but she wasn't angry. And, you know, in the world we live in today, it's like people get these ideas that God is angry with them. I had a friend from high school show up here at church one time. He said, I, I thought if I'd come in, I'd burn the building down. And I was like, bro, God is not angry at you. And it's like hard for people to come. He's not angry at you. His wrath has been satisfied through the person of Jesus on the sacrifice of the cross. And when you put your trust in him, he's not angry at you. Ooh, that makes him good. I love this verse. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Do you understand that faith is what gives you access into God's grace? Faith. I'm telling you, the only thing that God asks of you is to believe him. That's all he asks. Just believe me. And then you do that, and he extends his grace on your behalf. That is too good to be true. It's hard on your mind, because you think, man, I got to do something to earn it. But in God's economy... He cares about you just believing. You get access. That means you can come boldly to the throne of God. I can come into God's presence. And all I need to do is believe that his blood was shed for me in spite of the stupid things I've done. And he is for you. That will mess with your theology. That's why you need to know the book of Romans. Yeah. It tells us that we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Boy, that's, that's great, man. We can rejoice in God's provision. Do you remember the sensation you had of salvation? Like the, the relief you experienced when you confessed your sin and you knew that God loved you and wasn't angry at you and you were right in his sight. I mean, that, that's an incredible feeling that comes when you understand that, that, that everything has been worked out for you according to God's grace. He's got you. He loves you. He cares for you. And I, for one, am grateful for the grace of God. Where would I be without God's grace? Where would you be without the grace of God? All you have to do is thank him for it, believe him for it, receive it. You'll have joy in your heart. He's made provision. Do you like learning the Bible? 
We're teaching Bible doctrine. In the world we live in today, everybody, you know, the, the idea in church is we just want to you know, keep people happy, teach you how to have a better life, and in doing that, we've lost sight of like doctrine. These are major things, man. Now, third portion of God's provision, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I like this one. God demonstrates his love towards you and me in that while we were still sinners, think about that, while you were still in your sin, Jesus died for you. And here's what it tells me, that God has provided righteousness because he loves you. It's because he loves us. Yeah, this is a love without limitation, you know that? It's God's love. It's the agape love of God, uh, which is more than just your feelings of infatuation and, and, and highs and lows in your emotion. We're talking here about the love of God, which the Bible says is great. That's Ephesians 2.4. The Bible says that God's love is eternal. He loved us before we loved him. I mean, it was there before the foundations of the world. His love is perfect. He's given you a perfect love. His love is selfless. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a love that's hard to comprehend. It's hard for people like you and me who want to seek to justify ourselves to simply receive God's love and, and, and that he did the whole thing on the basis of love. God made provision while we're still sinners. I love that. In spite of your fallen state, in spite of all the mistakes that you had made, he loved you. He looked beyond sin and all of its wicked conditions, and he saw you. God loved you. He loved me when I was a frat boy, backslidden teenager. And he loved me, you know, when I was a foolish 20-year-old. Isn't it funny how 20-year-olds can be some of the most foolish people you ever met? Come on, somebody. And he loved me when I was a father of little children just trying to figure things out. And he loves me as a 40-year-old who sometimes doesn't have all the wisdom he needs. He'll love me when I'm 50. He'll love me forever. Amen. And he'll love you forever. Amen. And you can't do anything about it but receive it. That's where righteousness came. It came on the basis of God said, I love you. The agape love of God. The thing about God's love is it's the way that we become a partaker of the divine nature. That's what Peter said. You're partakers of God's divine nature. How do you become a partaker of God's nature? It's through the love of God. If you look at Romans 5, verse 5, that verse says that he's shed, he's poured abroad, he's placed the love of God in your hearts already. I have to laugh because I've been to a lot of meetings, a lot of charismatic Pentecostal church meetings, that's what we are. And they'll pray that the love of God would be in your heart. And as I read my Bible, he's already put it in my heart. It's already been deposited within me. I don't need to pray for it. What I really need to do is exercise it. Now that's where we get into the real struggles of what it means to love people. That's why the Bible describes love as a labor, because you got to exercise it. you got to work for it. It's not something that just happens. It's something that you have to apply in your life. Uh, that real love requires effort. I've noticed when you start putting effort into somebody, you'll start having an emotion of love that follows it. Real love is selfless. You want to fix your marriage? It could simply be that you're selfish. See how quiet it got in here? Because you all know it's true. Yeah, the love of God is what allows a person to live outside of their own limitation trials. Uh, Romans 5, it's love at work. And you know the thing about God's love is it helps you get through trials. Uh, Romans 5, verse 3 and 4, it's going to talk about you know, how 
you go through a process where the love of God starts working in your life. When I'm insecure and I don't know what to do, when I'm frustrated, when I'm scared, when I got problems, when I'm like, man, how am I going to handle the situation? I'm telling you, I start dwelling upon how much God loves me and it helps me process the situation. Meditating on God's love is an answer for the problems that you need. It, it, it will help you so much because what love does is it helps you have character. Perseverance and character get built up. And, and what, when you're a loving person and you have character, you'll figure out what you can say yes to and what you should say no to. And you'll have the security to do it with good motives because you're walking in the love of God. And that should help solve a lot of problems. The love of God helps you. It's what gives you hope. And hope is a powerful thing. You remember that God brought me out of one mess and he will bring me through this situation. I can look back with hope and remember he dealt with this in my life. He fixed this and he'll do it again. And so I can go through difficult things because I know that God is for me, that God loves me, that God's working with me, that he's not forgotten me. And so if you're struggling in a situation this morning, I have an answer for you. It's called the love of God. And I like how Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. He said, love never fails. So if you've got a problem, the answer is in the love of Jesus. Man, that is a reassuring thing. God loves you, and he justified you simply on the basis of his love for you. Woo, that's good, man. I'm grateful for a loving father. Now, fourth portion of God's provision. I'm here at the end of Romans chapter 5, which tells us that the law entered so that the offense might abound forever. See, without the law, you really wouldn't have any knowledge of sin. You wouldn't know that covetousness is bad. You wouldn't know lying is bad. You wouldn't know it's wrong to steal. But when God put those things in motion there, when he set them in the law, then you have an understanding of sin. But I do love what the verse says. That where sin abounded, grace abounded. How much more? Much more. Much more. I did a study one time years ago on a series. I was looking at all the phrases where it uses the word much more. Because it's describing God's eternal grace. So that as sin reigned through death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love these verses. Here's what it tells me. God's righteousness is superior to sin. It's considerably greater than sin. It's bigger, it's better, it's stronger, it's more powerful than sin. The, the, the greater the sin, the greater the grace. You know, Adam's sin, the Bible teaches here, uh, brought death to all mankind. We were born into it. It's called the human condition. It's he's, that affects everybody born on the planet. That's what he's going to tell us right there. He, he, he's using... A sort of a teaching habit called repetition. He's just taken, you know, sin and righteousness from different angles in these chapters. And he's just highlighting to us, guilty of sin. But Jesus came as the second Adam. He, he, he didn't come so you'd be born into sin. He came so that you could be born again into righteousness. His blood is what brings life to all mankind. And his blood has the cure for everything that ails you. He, that's what the Bible is talking about, a blood transfusion. You get Jesus' blood supernaturally and spiritually running through uh, your heart and your mind, and, and, and all of a sudden, righteousness follows. Yeah. See, sin can produce one thing. That's what this chapter is about. It just, we just read it right there. It, one thing and one thing alone. It's death. 
That's a sneaky thing because it's pleasurable to sin. It is enjoyable. And you go about it, you like doing it until you don't realize that it has ensnared you and trapped you and you become a slave and the only place that will take you is into death. There's no other place. It reigns through death. But through Jesus, the Bible says that God's grace is greater than all of our sin, man. I love that. The greater the, the, greater the sin, the greater the grace. The bigger problems you have, the more uh, answers Jesus has. Man, he has the answer here for murder, for hatred, for racism, for theft, for lying, for stealing, for adultery. Think about that long list of stuff we read through Romans chapter 1 that we're all guilty of. That maliciousness in your heart, uh, evil intentions, wickedness. Uh, I mean, everything you can think about, God has an answer. Grace reigns through righteousness. What that means is that he, through his grace and righteousness, has given you the ability to live sin-free in situations. You don't have to have sin ruling your life. And we get to talk about that next week. That's where he's taken us, in the progression of sanctification. That will be a fun study. doesn't matter if you're 18 or 85. We're in the process of things working out. But in the eyes of God right now, with the moment you accept Jesus, in spite of all the failures of life, he looks at you and he says, you're righteous in my sight. And that is too hot for a lot of people to handle. Grace is that great. It, it can cover the short attention span of a nine-year-old boy. And it can cover all the sin, all the failures, all the flaws in your life as well. It's an amazing thing, the thought of righteousness. God has made provision for you to be accepted in his sight. Think about that. He made provision for you to be righteous. So we have to ask ourselves, do you believe Jesus can save you from your sin? Nobody else. Just Jesus. Defy their religions. But that, I was watching videos where People of different faiths were trying to justify their religions, but that is not what the Bible teaches. That's what the, the lecturer was telling them. That isn't what Jesus said. Jesus said there's no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. He's the only way, the only one, the only person with shoulders big enough to provide atonement. His blood is the only blood rich enough that could cover our sins. It's only Jesus. I don't know if you know the Lord. I don't know if you ever met him. I don't know if you put your faith in him. I just want to give you a chance. Say yes in your heart to the Lord. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way? He's the one who loves you so much. So right now, just wherever you're at, if you don't know that, if you can't say that, just say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe he's the only way. You're my way. You'd be with me. Through trials and tribulations, he's the only way. Your faith in Jesus is personal and how much you love him. It's personal in how much he'll hold on to you. And I've had him hold on to me. I love the Lord. I want to walk with him. That's all it takes is faith in Jesus. You confess it with your mouth. You believe it in your heart. The Bible says you'll be saved. Yeah. Maybe what you've got to understand is, is how much God loves you. Think about the lengths that he went to to demonstrate his love. I, I meet so many people who they know that God loves them, but it's like hard to fathom, hard to know in your heart. And for me, I have found that to really get acquainted with him, I have to spend a lot of time meditating on how much he loves me personally. That is not always the easiest exercise to do because you're confronted with shortcomings, failures, frustrations, problems. But I'm telling you, he loves you. 
He has an eternal, amazing love for you. And when you know He loves you, you know how you can tell when someone knows they're loved by God? Is that they will start loving people around them. They'll love their neighbor. They'll start blessing people. They'll start, there'll be joy. It'll be easy for them to be sacrificial. It'll be easy for them to give. That's a life that gets transformed. It's the love of God at work. When God loves me, when you know he loves you, you, you start wanting to just be a blessing to everybody because you're so grateful for it. That, that, that's how you know the love of God's alive and well in someone. Do you know how much he loves you? If you knew how much he loves you, that is when you become a slave of righteousness. I just want to serve him. I just want to live for him. I just want to honor him with my life. I find a lot of my problems come back to, I don't really sense that God loves me, and then I get sidetracked with things. But if you just keep it, you know, he loves me. I'm grateful. He loves me. Dude, I'm telling you, you get to live righteously. Yeah. It, it, it's an amazing thing. <clears throat> you got to realize just how amazing grace is. Grace is that big. It's that good. It, it, it's bigger and better than you can comprehend. The grace of God has appeared to every man, the Bible says, and it teaches us to deny ungodly lusts and serve the Lord. I mean, it is that he is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the Lord. You know, the great example of that, his grace in a moment, is the thief on the cross. You want to get theological with how instantaneous it is. Think about a thief on the cross who did nothing. Didn't go to Sunday school, didn't give any money to a church. He, he, he didn't work at a soup kitchen. What did he do? He just said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. And in that moment, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That is the grace of God. It is that amazing. It's that powerful. It's that profound. And I love it. You know, I, I was telling you, I felt great grace in this place this morning. I felt great grace. Great grace. Great grace. I just want to take a moment and pray over you. And I want to just thank him for the grace of God. Father, I pray for revelation of Jesus. Hmm. Eyes of our understanding being enlightened. I pray for revelation, just like the Galatians. I pray that they would have eyes to see, ears to hear. Yeah. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus we'd see that, that sacrifice on the cross. I thank you for the grace of God that's appeared to every man. Mm. Mm. Man, I thank you for the love of God. I pray we get to know it. Yeah. Now, my friend Dylan over here, I was up here singing. And I got up on the platform and looked at it, I saw you. And it, what hit me was that God's grace is ready. It's available to you. And I wanted to share a verse with you. I'm going to probably hit this next week, Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I feel like God is about to show himself so strong on your behalf. Like, I feel like he's going to give you a whole new outlook about who you are as a, as a man. And he's going to heal you from the inside out. And I want to pray that over you. Can you reach your hand out to this man? So, uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you over his mind. The enemy has been trying to lie to you. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Ooh, I thank you for right thoughts. I thank you for righteousness. Ooh. I just had this sense when I said that. You, you, you've never even thought about righteousness. He loves you. He cares for you. You're right in his sight. You need to know that. He's for you, not against you. He's got a plan and purpose for your life. He's got greater things ahead of you. You have so much potential in the early season of your life, and I'm telling you, God is about to blossom it all right up. If you live for him. Mm, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Well, I feel the peace and the grace of the Lord.
His grace is greater than our sin. You know that? That's what makes him wonderful. Makes him so good. Man, I just have a burden in my heart for people who don't know how much he loves them. It's hard to comprehend sometimes. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up this morning. I preached the gospel to you. We're working our way through Romans. You've heard the gospel. You were guilty of sin. And the only one that can save you is Jesus. And so I'm going to give you one last appeal here. If you don't know the Lord, you better get right for him. You don't know if you can get killed in a car wreck on the way home. You don't know if you'll go home and watch the Denver Broncos and they're so bad you have a heart attack. You better be, better be right with the Lord. <laughs> I love you so much, man. I feel, the love, I feel the love of God in our church. You know, That's what we pray for, the love of God. This could be nothing greater in church. If you want to have God's presence and his gifts move, you need to have the awareness for our next. Mm, the love of God. I would love to have you join us for our Next Steps class that's going to take place here. Uh, we'll get back there about 1130. We'll start feeding people, getting them ready. But we'd love to have you. Maybe you're just visiting today or you've been here. If you just want to get a little more acquainted with us, man, we'd love to have you. Mm, let's just take a moment and receive his grace. Can't earn it. Can't work for it. Just got to receive it. Father, I thank you for great grace. Thank you for great grace. Mm. You know what happens in, in moments like this? This is where God heals bodies. Mm. Hopeless conditions. Situations you thought were hopeless. And you're so stressed out and striving for things, but God does it because he's good. That's who he is. So much he loves you. Delivers you instantaneously from things. Oh, I feel the peace of the Lord. I feel the peace of the Lord in this house. Amen, amen, amen. All right, man, I'm going to dismiss and let you go. We love you. I have a little burden to pray for anyone who maybe is sick in their body. So if you've got a sickness or disease, I want to invite you to the altar. We'd love to pray with you. We'll get back there the next steps in a few minutes. We love you. God bless you. If you need a touch in your body, I want to pray with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you all. go before I know that you've even gone to win my war you come back with the hand